When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, What's up, everybody? This is Wildcat Radio 2.0. I'm Adam Green. He's Brett Berry. And there is a lot going on with Arizona Athletics, Brett. I guess we can start with the bad news. Arizona softball's magical season. Their surprise run to the Women's College World Series came to an end. They they got a game, but they couldn't get enough through there. And, yeah, I mean, still a really good season in Caitlin Lowe's first one as the coach. Yeah, I you know, it was already a success making the postseason. It was even more of a success for how far they got. Um, you know, they kind of ran out of steam a little bit at, at the end there. Uh, and just, you know, the talent level that they're going against is, is pretty darn high. And, you know, they got their one of their pitchers had a little hitch in her giddy up. And that was kind of showing in the last game and tried to power through it. Hannah Bowen. But, uh, you know, it's 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 rough to see them lose, but you're very proud of how the season was and a, and a big success overall. Yeah, absolutely. Like we talked to Kim Dosser as he did a swarm last couple of weeks about Arizona softball. Of course, later in this show, we're going to talk to Brian Peterson to get a recap of Arizona baseball, who also fell in their postseason. Their season's over. But sticking to softball real quick, like when you're the Cinderella team, losing is not the end of the world, right? Like this was a Cinderella Arizona team, which is almost like an oxymoron. That doesn't make any sense in softball, but that was the case. So they weren't expected to be there, let alone advance through the world series that they didn't. Isn't a surprise. and isn't a reason to be disappointed. In fact, you should be excited. The fact that, yeah, they weren't the best team there, but they started playing good softball. They believed in themselves. They believed in their coach who in her first year, that's a great experience. You know, like it's great to get there. And yeah, they're going to lose some players. They're going to bring in players. It's going to be a different team next year. But you have a foundation with your new coach, with Caitlin Lowe, who you can now point to and say, yes, I can get you here. I can get you to Oklahoma City, right? Like that's something that you can do that you could not do before the season and before the postseason. Well, and gosh, how much momentum are they going to have going into the offseason with trying to get you know, transfer portal players, uh, regular recruiting, uh, you know, the, the development that this team had and the, the camaraderie they showed on national TV, no less, is just going to pay off in spades, I think, uh, and really hopefully set up Caitlin Lowe in the program for success. Yeah, certainly that would be that would be nice. And of course, it's expected. <laughs> I think there was probably a honeymoon period allowed. But then when you make the 
World Series in your first year. That kind of it's kind of like Tommy Lloyd in basketball. <laughs> we talk like, well, you you got there. Why can't you do it again? So the, Caitlin Lowe's going to have to deal with that. But it's Arizona softball, and you have to think that with what she accomplished, and she and they. It's not just her, obviously, but what this program accomplished this season will only help to continue that right like it's not right. going to get worse there should not be a big step back if anything there should be steps forward brett mentioned time to in that basketball team and i guess it's that's a pretty good segue on my own I know i'm just ruining it <laughs> i was gonna i was gonna say that was good until you that that call so i pointed out. it out yeah <laughs> but, yeah but tommy lloyd like we talked last show how the roster was I don't want to say in flux, but there were certainly some questions. Dalen Terry had announced he was staying in the draft, which meant they were losing three-fifths of the starting lineup, plus Justin Kyer, one of their key bench guys. And since then, things have, I guess, settled down. Arizona got Campbell transfer, Cedric Henderson, who's like a a swing forward, guard forward type, and then, of course, got uh, Courtney Ramey from Texas, another high-quality transfer. So all of a sudden, Arizona looks like it's filled some holes either in the starting lineup or just in their depth, and the roster looks a lot better. The roster didn't look bad, but it looks a lot better now than it did even a week ago. Yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Um, you know, Cedric Henderson's coming from a smaller program, but, like, you know, has, has a pretty good highlight video playing against some good teams. I think he had a pretty good game against Duke last year. Uh, I, I watch the, the highlights and, and look at his kind of measurables and I get strong Dylan Smith vibes. Hopefully that's is that Anaheim, Anaheim Dylan, Dylan Smith. Smith? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, let's hope it's Anaheim Dylan Smith, but, uh, in terms of somebody that's going to give you some depth on the, you know, on the perimeter, I don't know if he's going to play much at like a, maybe a small ball four, but more of a, a, a fairly athletic wing, you know, you don't accidentally score as many points as he did, even if it's against lesser competition. Um, but a guy that I think is going to maybe be able to fill some gaps in the roster. And then uh, 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 the, the Texas transfer, Courtney Ramey, uh, I think this is actually probably a low-key, really good addition. Maybe I think he might be a Justin Kyer plus um, in, in a couple of ways. Like, he was pretty pretty well recruited coming out of high school. Um, and I got to say, Adam, I was reading the, uh, the, the, the interview with Brandon Jenkins on 247 Sports, and Ramey calls him. It, it was like, He's he's speaking to me and listens to our podcast clearly because he literally told him I'm a dog and I feel I can bring that to the culture of Arizona after they had a successful year one. And my God, is that music to my ears? Because I've been asking for that dog mentality that I think, you know, Tommy Lloyd's like got that, you know, competitive but ah shucks kind of vibe to it. And sometimes you need a little bit of a that dog to, to motivate, not just. Uh, you know, during the games, but in practices and build that kind of mentality and that toughness that's needed come March. And so I think he's a guy that might challenge to start. I know it's a little bit hot take, but I think he might. And that's when you look at these additions with the two veterans, and if I correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that they're each one year guys, that they're not multi-year transfers, which fits into what Arizona one needs because they're trying to plug holes, right? And you get mm-hmm. these players because yes, you can offer playing time, but because they believe they, believe they can win. And that's something that Tommy Lloyd showed last season, that this is a system that can help them score points, help them get on NBA draft radars, you know, help them get to the NCAA tournament and possibly deep into the NCAA tournament. And that's what, like, I think the danger, like you mentioned, Ramey, you think could start, and maybe. Like, we have, there's a lot of moving parts here when it comes to the lineup. I think Kirk Reese is going to start, Azulis Tabas is going to start, and probably Pell Larson. Like, I'm not totally sold that it'll be Umar Balo, and I'm not... <clears throat> I don't know who the other one will be, but there's a lineup. It could be Adama Ball. It could be Ramey. It could, they could do a lot of things, but we'll see what happens with this roster. But I think the important thing to remember is it's easy to look and say, oh, this is to replace so-and-so. 
You know, and it's, it's not like that. Like, yes, they're filling holes. There's roster spots available because they had three guys leave early. But they're not exactly looking at Henderson saying, you're going to be our Dalen Terry. Or, Ramey, you're going to be our Ben Matherin. Like, that would be a mistake to see them as such. But, and, but when you look at it and say, all right, Arizona, the, each of these guys can shoot the three. They can handle the ball. They're going to play defense. They're going to play hard. They're coming to Arizona with one year left to win. And that's something you want. Like, this is going to be a hungry team that comes back next season. You're going to have a lot of guys who were on the team this last year who got a taste of being a number one seed, got a taste of winning the Pac-12 and losing in the Sweet 16. Then you have these guys who have they, they have one year left. They're on this big stage. They're going to want it as much as anybody, too. And like that dog mentality you're talking about, Brett, yeah, they need that. And when you have that dog mentality with a talented roster and that desire to get it done, that's going to help them quite a bit. So, you know, there was that unreasonable, I don't want to say angst, but you know, probably that unreasonable angst over a Tommy Lloyd recruit. Like a transfer would go elsewhere. And you're like, they're like, oh, God, Tommy Lloyd doesn't know how to navigate the transfer portal. Really? Like I saw that. Like, oh, Tommy needs to learn how to, like, Jed Fish should talk to Tommy Lloyd about how to, Navigate the portal. I'm like, never mind the fact that Jed Fish has way more roster spots to fill and a lot more playing time to offer when it comes to the transfer portal. Like, Tommy Lloyd's fine. <laughs> he, he's fine. And uh, yeah. he's, this kind of just reaffirms that. It does, he didn't need to prove anything to me, and I don't mm-hmm. think he needed to prove anything to you. But he was selected. He got guys who look like they can fit into this roster. They can fill roles, and they're not going to disrupt anything either. You know, they don't seem like guys are coming in to be selfish. They're not coming in to be the star. They're coming in to be a part of a really good team, which Arizona will be. Yeah. First off, unreasonable angst. Uh, how dare you steal my high school garage band's name? <laughs> um, you know, it's it's going to be an interesting roster. Cause it, you know, it's probably safe to say that the roster is set, and it's still a good roster. I'm not sure there's... You know, there's not a Ben Matherin, I don't think, on this roster, unless one of these, you know, like a, a true star level on there, unless one of these Euro guys, like, it comes in and really surprises, or somebody like Adama Bald, or, you know, or somebody else makes a big jump. I think Larson could. Yeah, I think his ceiling is lower, because I don't think he has the raw No, his, his ceiling isn't like Matherin. the top, a top five NBA pick, no. I get that, but I think he could be a, like an all Pac-12 first team type of player. Yeah, and they could be a really balanced team, right? That's that's like look at what Houston was. You know, a, <laughs> look what a good, tough, balanced team can do in in March to to really good teams. Uh, and the other thing that's like not you know that's not shouldn't be lost on us is you're. I believe you are right, Adam. That both of these guys coming on are one year, you know, players. This also makes it so you don't have to feel like you need to hit the panic button and say, get Kylan Boswell or KJ Lewis to, to reclass and try to come in when you're trying to compete as, you know, 17, 18 year old kids. And now they can come in at their normal graduation date, uh, which will only serve the next year's recruiting class even better uh, when, you know, with those guys already in hand and KJ Evans, I think is looking at uh, looking like Arizona's a leader. It's looking like a, a class that could be really, really good. Uh, and so this way you're not over-recruiting on them either. No, and this is how you build a roster. This is how you build a program. And, again, Arizona's always going to lose guys early. If things are going well, they're going to lose guys early. And you can replace some of them with with freshmen, right, with good recruiting classes. And clearly Tommy Lloyd can recruit. You mentioned the 2023 class. That's already lined up how good it could be. 2022 ain't bad either. But you look at it that way and then, okay, you have an extra hole here or there. What do you need? And you kind of go portal shopping, if you will. And Arizona's not going to be in the position to get the super high-level transfers most years. Like, hopefully they're not. Hopefully they're not in a position where the best transfers are going to be like, yep, I want to go to Arizona because I'm going to play 30 minutes a night and be the star. No, you hope Arizona already has those stars on the roster and that they're getting 
I don't want to say role players because that almost kind of cheapens what I think these guys can be, but guys who can fill certain roles, if that makes sense. Like they're not role players, right. but they can fill that role for you. Or maybe Courtney Ramey starts. Like it's possible. I could see a world where that happens. Or maybe he comes off the bench and Adama Ball starts. Either way, this is a guy who's going to help you. You know, Henderson is a guy who's right. going to help you, most likely off the bench, but he obviously has experience and can come in and play, kind of like Justin Kyer last year when Kirk Risa was out. Kyer could come in, and he wasn't maybe as good of a point guard, but he's experienced, he knows what he's doing on the floor, and he helps you. So, yeah, I I, I know we weren't the panicky type. We weren't those guys last <laughs> week or the last show where it's like, oh, God, Dale and Terry's going to the NBA. Arizona's, what's going to happen to them? They're going to be lucky to make the tournament next year if they even have a team. Like, no, we were never those guys. <laughs> But I can understand where, okay, it's, again, show me. I mean, either you trust Tommy Lloyd or you don't. And I know he's only been with Arizona for a little more than a calendar year, but I trust him. And this is just not more evidence, like, why you should. He has a plan. He knows how to execute it. And the Arizona brand is strong. That's the other thing. The brand is the brand. Arizona is that good. And they're going to be a draw for anyone who wants to win. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. And the this... Hopefully this the the these two commitments uh, you know I'm not holding my breath but hopefully it'll make more fans realize you can in Tommy we can trust and not panic for everybody that goes to the NBA which is a good thing for the program. <laughs> like right? did people panic when guys went to the NBA under Sean Miller? Was that a thing when you know Derek Williams left after his sophomore year? No, grand the next year wasn't very good after that. But following there. <laughs> it was Aaron Gordon and Stanley Johnson and those guys. Was it like, oh God, Arizona's gonna? Eh. No, it well, they, they, I don't think they panicked because they had the great recruiting class coming in. But then I've imagined that the Venn diagram of those fans that are the same fans a few years later when they didn't make it to the Final Four were the ones saying, "We need to be done with these one and one or one and dones, and we need to build a roster." And then. At the end of the day, they're all just panicking until we until we make a final. Oh four. yeah, and there's multiple ways to get there. I think I saw. Uh, I didn't read the article. I probably should have. It's something about how like the one and dones like that isn't the best way to win a title. Like you need those guys. Like you need the best players, and the best players tend to be one and dones. But that's not to say that you can't win with building a roster around them. Like the best Arizona teams probably have most guys who are two or three year guys. You know, two three year players. Then you add that superstar freshman. Aaron Gordon works out pretty well because you have an experienced T.J. McConnell. You have Nick Johnson in his junior year. You, know, you have a Tarzuski in his sophomore year, Brandon Ashley in his sophomore year. You have some experience on that team, and then you plug in the high-level one-and-done freshman. And, of course, the next season when you had you know, Rondé and Brandon Ashley again and T.J., and you have a Stanley Johnson. Like, yeah, you don't actually want a team full of one-and-dones. I guess the Nico Mannion team that had the three one-and-dones on, and I know Zeke wasn't supposed to be a one-and-done. He played his way into it. That team was going to make the tournament, but I don't think anyone expected them to go far. Like, that's not the best way Arizona can be. Like, even this right. past season, their guys going to the NBA were not one and duns. One was three, the other were two years. Like, that's fine. That's how this should be. But, yeah, to your point, Brett, there were a lot of people who were like, oh, they, one and duns don't work. Build a roster. You need guys around two, three years. Well, this is what it looks like. They may not be five-star recruits, but they might be th high three-stars, four-stars who are going to be there for a couple of years. And if they're better than you think, then they leave after two. So be it. Well, and it's a Eurozona roster where <laughs> you really don't know what you have until you get it, whether it's yeah. going to be classified as a three-star, four-star, or a five-star, right? Well, to that end, I imagine, too, every Arizona writer just celebrated with these two guys because their names are pretty easy to spell, and I'm pretty confident I'm pronouncing them correctly, too. Well, now you just sealed it. You definitely mispronounced both of their names. Yeah, it's probably a silent C in Courtney. It's probably Ortney. Just knowing I was my luck. Say it's, 
Rame. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, oh God. <laughs> Brad, let, let's leave that conversation here. When we come back, Arizona baseball advanced in the postseason, but fell, I don't, I don't want to say fell short. They fell very short in their last game, but, you know, still probably wasn't a bad season for Chip Hale's first. Let's talk to Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Swarm to get a take on what happened with baseball. Welcome back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. And to help put a bow on the Arizona baseball season, the first under Chip Hale, we are joined by Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Swarm. Brian, welcome back to Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah, of course. And Arizona got to the postseason, as I guess we kind of expected. They didn't get very far in their uh, their uh, last game. Certainly did not go well. But just if you have a way just to summarize Arizona's season, the 2021-2022 season in baseball, how would you do it? Well, I wouldn't use anything about the last game in the assessment because that was – heavily impacted by the schedule and the weather in Miami and just their overall lack of pitching depth. Uh, once they lost their first game in the regional, it, it was going to be a very uphill battle. Just for them to be able to make it to the regional final was a success. Um, I would, If I had to grade the season, I would give it something like a B, maybe a B plus, um, because it could have been a lot worse considering you had a coaching change, an unexpected coaching change um, that led to some players leaving. Uh, following Jay Johnson to LSU and others just going elsewhere. And the new coaching staff that didn't have as much experience having to put together a last-second recruiting class and hold on to guys um, and try to match that with what was left behind. But there was a strong nucleus there, and we saw this team throughout the year showed how good it could be. Uh, it was it was really, really weird. They They would look so good against some of the better teams that they'd face, and that even happened in Miami. And But then against some of the, the lesser teams, they would look incredibly beatable, and uh, that can be evidenced by the fact they went 3-6 and six against the three Pac-12 schools that didn't make the conference tournament. So it was one of those, like, they played up to the level of competition or down um, and probably should have done better but could have done a lot worse, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. So to that to that point, Brian, you know, you grade give the season a grade of a B, maybe a B plus. Would you give a similar grade now to the Chip Hale hire and his job this year, uh, or would you think it's a different letter grade? No, that that's probably a fair grade. And I mean, it, I get so many people who will jump into mentions or uh, message me on Twitter who who think that the hire is an abject failure and, and all of this. And, and I really don't think you can make any sort of concrete assessments after one season unless it was just clear through a variety of things that, that chips in over his head, which he's not. He doesn't have – he didn't have the college experience, but this guy's been coaching for 20 years and mentioned a couple times that at some levels he was coaching guys who were younger – than the players he has now if he was coaching a rookie league team or an instructional league team. Um, It's just a a different game that he had to get used to, and there were some growing pains during the season as far as how you manage a roster and and changes during games and whatnot, and and instead of having games six days a week, only having them three or four. But those those were to be expected, but I don't think there was any sort of failure in any way. 
maybe the one thing that I think he struggled with, and he even admitted it a couple times, uh, were pitching changes and, and when to make that decision. Um, it seemed that there were a couple times, especially later in the season, where he maybe left a guy in one batter too long. And, again, that's just coming with, you know, figuring out what's going with it. But this also was guys he inherited, and starting in 23 and beyond, or even just at fall, the team's going to be much more about guys he wanted and he knows what to expect from them. Yeah, I was going to say, with when it comes to that pitching anyway, it's that's like I think every coach, every manager has trouble with, you know, pulling a guy one batter too late or pulling him, you know, one batter too soon. I mean, that that's just baseball, though. Yeah, and, and apparently the vast majority of Arizona's pitchers had reverse splits. And for anyone who doesn't know what that means, essentially their left-handed pitchers were better against righties and their right-handed pitchers were better against lefties. And normally it's you bring in a lefty to face a lefty and vice versa. So a lot of times from the outside it would look, why are they bringing in a right-handed batter, a pitcher to face a lefty? Well, that's why. Or why did they keep that guy in there to face the lefty when there was a lefty ready? That was why. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. But, you know, that's why they're the coaches and we're not. Some, somewhere out there, some of our listeners are saying, take that baseball data nerds. Um, but, you know, I think, Brian, you, you kind of mentioned a few things, um, you know, kind of putting a bow on the this season, but heading into the off season. You had a good article on AZ Desert Swarm kind of saying what's next for this program. You know, you mentioned a couple of things where maybe there's lack of depth on, on, on the pitching side. Uh, and there's also some movement within the roster. And maybe the biggest question with the Chip Hale hire was, you know, how is he going to recruit? Uh, so heading into the offseason, what's what's your perspective on what Chip Hale needs to, to do going into this offseason to assemble uh, a competitive roster next year and going forward and solidify his job? Well, he uh, they, they need to hit the portal hard. And that's just a fact of the matter now with, with all college sports is that you can't just rely on the standard recruiting out of high schools and in, in college baseball, uh, junior college, you need to go after transfers when they're available, and there's plenty out there. Um, the the two additions that Chip and his staff were able to make to the roster after they took over were guys from the portal, and both of them had varied levels of success while they were here, and they were both pitchers. So I think they'll probably go heavy into that respect, trying to bring in some veteran arms to uh, balance the ones that return plus the guys they have coming in. They signed 19 players in November, and there are a lot of pitchers in there, a lot of left-handed guys. Um, whether or not they all end up coming here is, again, another part of the, uh, the, the piece of the puzzle that Chip hasn't had to deal with yet because you have guys that could get drafted and opt to sign. Um, that, that was the case with the, the class from last year. They had one of their guys, two of their guys end up getting drafted and signed, and then other guys just transferred because of or opted uh, pulled out of their letter because of the, the coaching change. But we'll find out here in the next few weeks when, when uh, Baseball America and D1 Baseball and other sites come out with like their expansive list of the top five, 600 draft prospects, who of the Arizona guys um, are in there and then whether or not they're going to get drafted, and then it'll be up to Chip and his staff to try to convince them that they're better off state going to college and getting some seasoning than just signing and starting off way on the bottom that they could improve their draft stock. Like a guy like Daniel Susak, um, had he 
gone straight into the pros, he wouldn't have made as much right off the bat, and he would have had to work his way up. Now he's going to be a first-round pick, so that's kind of the pick, the pitch that they'll do on that. Um, you also have to try to convince guys that uh, on the existing team who will end up getting drafted next month that maybe you can you can beef up your stock a little bit more. Um, you know, someone like Susak, that's not the case. I mean, you're not going to improve from top 15. Um, he, he's gone, but it'll it'll come to that. And then uh, it's you, try and find a couple other guys that maybe are out there uh, on the prep or junior college circuit. But but more than anything, it's about it's uh, filling in the holes and identifying the needs and going after the portal. So we're joined by Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Storm here. And along those lines, too, I remember, like, Daniel Suzak, he's gone. And he had that quote afterwards. I think it was something, correct me if I'm wrong, where he's like, you know, he, the two best decisions, like the, the best decision are made or one of the best decisions he made was going yeah, to Arizona. Think, and then the yeah. best decision he made was staying with Arizona through the coaching change. Like, that, to me, is the type of thing where, for all the stuff, like, we, all, we knew Chip Hale could coach. Obviously, he can coach baseball. <laughs> but could he relate to these players? Could he get them to buy in? Could he get them to really play hard for him? When a guy like Susak, who could have left, obviously, and he's going to leave now for the pros, but... To hear him say that, does that kind of give insight into, yes, these players really did like playing for Chappelle, and if that's the case, that would have to bode well for the chances going forward. Yeah, it was a combination of that they liked it and that it it was still in their best interest to stay where they are because uh, a lot of times when guys will leave, they're looking for a better fit, but it, it may still take a while before they uh, find that right fit. You can't, it, not everybody can just instantly jump into something and be super comfortable. And, and by that, I mean someone like Jacob Berry, who was with Arizona last year. And when Jay Johnson went to LSU, he followed him. Well, he fit right into there and, and it was perfect. And I mean, that, that was a good decision for him. He would have been great at Arizona. And had he stayed, that this would have been a completely different team. But he was more... Um, he was more tied and committed to Jay Johnson than he was to Arizona. And with Daniel Susak, it shows he was more tied to Arizona than the coach. It also didn't hurt that his cousin, Anthony Susak, was a freshman pitcher on the team this past year. So they, there was some of that family connections that, that warranted him coming there. Plus, T.J. Nichols, who he grew up with, one of the Arizona's starting pitchers was on the team as well. So those things factor into it as well. But, but Chip and, and the coaching staff definitely had something to do with it. You know, um, a lot of guys went into the portal after the coaching change, and then some of them came back. Garrett Irvin came back. Quinn Flanagan came back. They, they weighed their options and decided it was best for them to just come back to where they had been. And they all feel good about that decision, it sounds like. I think so. Yeah, and I think I think Daniel Susek, you know, you mentioned a few times there. And if, if I'm Chip Hale, I point to him as the best recruiting uh, guy out there for, for Chip Hale because, A, of the, what he was saying about not just the decision to come to Arizona, but to come back. And now he's looking like a guy that can be drafted very highly in the, in the, the next major league draft. Do you have any sense of where uh, Susek is going to land in terms of the mock drafts, Brian? They all put him somewhere in the low 10s. Um, He'll be a first-round pick. Uh, I believe Baseball America has him ranked 11th overall. I've seen him going 13th, 14th. Um, I saw three different mock drafts that had the Mets taking him. Um, another one, the Angels taking him. I've seen the Royals. Uh, but he'll, he'll be in the first half of the first round unless uh, some teams reach up high um, and go for someone that is not as highly ranked because they, uh, there's, there's some strategy with certain teams 
that they will draft a guy higher than they're, than they're projected because then they can try to justify paying them less than the, the slot value for that spot um, and then be able to spend more money on guys later on. Because with baseball, uh, uh, each team is given a certain amount of money they're allowed to spend on draft picks. And I don't know the formula how that works, but you know that factors into how, how that would go. And so uh, that could affect it, but I, I see no reason he would not be a first-round pick. Uh, one more question for you. Along those same lines, though, Suzak's going to be drafted. We know that. Anyone else on this roster who doesn't have to get, but like could very easily be part of the 20-round draft, because obviously Arizona had more good players than just Daniel Susak, and there's more guys who could be on those draft boards. Any, any sense of who you think might be hearing their name called? I think, I think the next guy drafted is actually uh, Tony Bullard, the third baseman, and he actually today entered the transfer portal uh, which is done probably for a bunch of reasons. One is a backup in case he doesn't get drafted or doesn't get drafted high enough to where it warrants um, where he is because you have to be in the portal by July 1st to be eligible for the next season. And I think Arizona expects him gone, so this might also be a case where he doesn't have to worry about uh, making Arizona wait until mid-July to see if he's drafted to hold a spot for him. And maybe he just wants a, uh, a fresh start because he had such a, uh, a horrible life year in 2022 right before the season started he got injured which which impacted him in real uh, the entire season ear to shoulder and a month before the season his father died so there's just been so much going on that maybe he just wants a different uh a a change of scenery if he ends up coming back to college but i think he's probably going to be the first guy after him tanner otremba in right field should get drafted and i don't see why he wouldn't sign uh mac bingham the center fielder could get drafted could go either way um a couple of the pitchers uh, could go, like someone like Chandler Murphy, who had a very bad year this year, again, because of injuries. He's got such great stuff and a high ceiling that someone might want to take a chance on him. Um, whether or not he wants to do that or come back remains to be seen. But it's so weird because of the COVID year still uh, affecting things with eligibility. I mean, Arizona even has their second baseman, Garen Caulfield. His first two years of college at junior college, they didn't play because he happened to be in San Joaquin County, which was the most restrictive county in the country for COVID um, restrictions. They didn't play baseball for two years. He's a third-year true freshman, but he's also a draft-eligible 21-year-old player. So it's very weird in that respect. Somebody could see the, the tools he has and go, hey, let's go for him. Or they, they could rightly say, hey, this guy's only played one year of college ball. Let's see what happens. So – it's very, very unpredictable. So aside from the guys that might be leaving to the draft, there's there's obviously some talent coming back or is expected back with, you know, Chase Davis or TJ Nichols, I think are the two big names expected back. You know, this time last year, the, Chase Davis was the guy that uh, everybody thought, hey, look for him next year to take that big leap. Uh, and he sure, boy, did he, right? Uh, are there, is there any guys on the roster that are going to be back next year that you think could make that kind of a leap and have that kind of impact next year? You know, um, I don't know of, of the existing guys because they just had so few. They got down to the, the point where, I mean, they were playing 11 or 12 guys, hitters, um, and all of them got a, a fair amount of, of time with the exception of Cameron Laliberti, who was the uh, third-string catcher, and Jack Grant, who was a, a, a valuable middle infielder, but he kept dealing with a knee injury. Um, I just don't know if there's spots for them based on what's available. Uh, on the pitching side, uh, Dawson Nets was a guy that they had a lot of hope for this past year, but then he dealt with tendonitis. 
Um, if he's healthy, he could be a big piece. Anthony Susak, as I said before, he, he could end up being their number one starter at some point. Um, he's still only what, 18 months removed from Tommy John, and um, he showed flashes. But if he can get on the right with everything and work on his control and, and everything, he could be a, a real big starter. But um, I actually i am thinking there's going to be some instant impact guys from the recruiting class. There's a, uh, a kid who played at Central Arizona who actually played high school in Oro Valley named Kiko Romero who hit 25 home runs with 84 RBIs for Central Arizona as they won the Junior College World Series. Um, if he doesn't get drafted and signed, he could be right there in the middle of their lineup as another power-hitting left-handed bat, which they sorely missed this year. Chase Davis was the only left-hander in the lineup, which was just they, – they had no lineup uh, roster flexibility with their batting order, and that definitely affected them. Um, and there's a, a right-handed pitcher at Pima College named Aiden May who – apparently is probably going to get drafted and if they can hold on to him he could uh he could be a big piece this year as well all right so arizona's baseball had a pretty pretty good season in chip hales first of course they're going to lose some talent but they got plenty coming back and of course expectations will once again be high for the next one brian peterson az desert swarm thanks for joining us on wildcat radio 2.0 we'll of course catch up with you again down the road great thanks for having me all right thanks and that's brian peterson we come back recruiting never stops all right, we're back. It's Wildcat Radio 2.0. Thanks again to Brian Peterson of AZ Desert Swarm for joining us and giving us that insight into baseball because, Brett, baseball season, it wasn't bad. <laughs> I mean, we got kind of used to and spoiled by Arizona baseball for pretty much the duration of the Jay Johnson era, and there was certainly some questions in terms of how Chip Hale would do. I'm still not sold on him until I can see him recruit and build rosters because I never doubted that Chip Hale could coach. I just wondered, could he coach in like a college baseball team, which includes recruiting? We'll see. But talking to Brian and looking at the recruiting class, depending on what they can bring in, it doesn't seem too bad. Well, and even even the coaching question, like you know, I think we all knew he knows baseball, obviously, but how well was he going to be able to connect with young guys uh, was a was a question. I think that was answered just based on like you know the Daniel Susak commentary mm-hmm. and the way the guys kind of rallied around him. So I think you know we've we've crossed off that that question um and the, the season i think was an overall success and I, I i tend to agree and you know for the the weirdness that is baseball recruiting i don't even know what we'll know if we'll know how he is as a recruiter by the end of <laughs> the <laughs> off season because aside from the transfer portal it's 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 very complicated with baseball recruiting if people don't know like full scholarships are rarely done you get a limited number so it's a lot of partial scholarships you can offer scholarships and get commitments guys can get drafted and they never come to your school so is that a waste of time so you go after those guys it's you know it's it's an art of building a roster but uh i think you know to put a bow on the season and on chip hale's first year i think i think brian's grade was right and i think that there's positive momentum uh, and the the trend line is is positive, but you know it's it the trend is positive, but it's tenuous uh, until we see how they how he can build a roster for next year and beyond. Yeah, I think that's true. Now, speaking of building rosters, of course, and continuing my great segues that I ruined by calling them out and pointing them out, <laughs> Brett Arizona football's roster for the future, not for this season, but for the future picked up a lot over the last week or so we saw this talk about this big recruiting weekend now that visits were allowed again and arizona it was i think jet fish had just emoji after emoji after emoji it was just like not one not two just kept going and going for the week i think there were seven 
is what he got up to with the cactus emojis or something, and it just seemed ridiculous. It started to trickle out who it was. I think we know seven now. Um, I don't even know where to start, but Arizona recruiting football wise, and it's it's early. It's you know June, and now these guys have signed. They're not going to sign for a while, but man, it still feels really good to see guys saying, "I want to be an Arizona Wildcat." Yeah, I, I think it starts with anybody out there that can make good uh, animated GIFs of dancing cactuses. Uh, email jed.fish at arizona.edu. Actually, I don't know if that's that is his, his email address. Um, He's going to be getting all these emails of those and be like, what the hell? Where did this come from? And IT is going to be like, Jed, stop opening these attachments. <laughs> um, you know, um, I, the other thing I think, it, you know, I personally would love for us to start with you trying to pronounce all the names of all the players that committed over the weekend, Adam. Well, let's see. Carter Stoutmeyer, right? Arian Parrish, Lucas Conti. Where's it Conti? It's starting to get tricky already. Gavin Hunter was one of them. Dominic Lolesio. Sure. Um, KK. <laughs> and Tylen Gonzalez, right? Because Rhino, he was a while ago. It's Justin... It's Justin Johnson's not one of them this week, too, right? So it's, there you go. Is that, how do I do? I mean, we're just going to pretend like you didn't skip over Kamuela Kaihue. Sure. <laughs> I, I think that was a valiant effort on my part. I have no idea if it was right. <laughs> um, the one I just hopefully pronounced correctly is the linebacker out of, out of, out of Hawaii. Uh, one, one trend that's, I think, a positive trend out of all of this group, it doesn't apply to all the players, but, boy, you can see that poly pipeline really you know, carrying over. It started last year. You've got a lot of guys that are coming uh, and, and on visits and even some of these commits that have the poly background or from Hawaii. Uh, also, you know, Lucas Conti, Conti uh, a, a big defensive lineman from a big program in Six, California. 6'5", 260, yeah. Um, you know, there's some other guys that were that were visiting another defensive end from Vegas. Uh, is, it, uh, is it Kesley or Kelsey Howard? Um, you know, a highly rated guy, and uh, and Leviticus or uh, the Sua, the, the the linebacker, is another poly guy that's a, a top 250 guy that visited. You know, if he committed, it's definitely a silent commit. There's no cactus, at least it's unclear. <laughs> Not that we know of, yeah. But you know, I think overall, you know. Carter Stoutmeyer and Arian Parrish, you know, were recording on June 10th today. I think it was he was the last one to to announce it was today. Those guys are both defensive backs. They're both pretty, you know, sizable and athletic. They kind of fit what the what the team is looking for in recruiting. You can tell they did a defensive uh, weekend uh, of visits, um, as most of these guys seem to be projecting guys that play on defense. I think the interesting guy. Um, you know, kind of a boomer bust, maybe a a, a quiet recruit is the Tylen Gonzalez at a at a Carlsbad, New Mexico. Really good size, like huge size, and supposedly, you know, there's talk that he might be uh, pretty athletic for his size. You know, whether he goes to the defensive line or offensive line, uh, I don't care as long as you get athletes on the line <laughs> uh, and size on the line. Um, so you're you're seeing, you know. Jed Fish is well on his way to being undefeated in his third offseason. Um, and there's another, I think, even bigger recruiting weekend scheduled in terms of guys that are coming to visit, including some of the guys that have already committed uh, in in Braden Dorman, the QB, and, and cornerback Canyon Moses out of Midland, Texas. But it's, it looks like there's a lot more offensive guys coming and maybe even higher rated than these guys. But, boy, you already have the makings of a pretty good class. I think, um, you know, 247, what did you say, Adam, has him at like 28, 28 now? overall, yeah. 
I think Rivals has a few more guys actually rated than 247 uh, that just, you know, that contributes a little bit more score, and they're up to 21. Well, and, and it's early, ranks. right? Arizona has yeah. like 11 commits, and that factors into it. But, you know, the other thing that you didn't mention, Brett, is one of the reasons that class look, looking so good is that these aren't Arizona three stars, right? Because we know that Jed Fish <laughs> cannot, like, no, I don't, well, like, <laughs> don't, don't, get, don't get me started on another rant against a certain, yeah. uh, people or person <laughs> but, but you look at like the crews like Braden Dorman the quarterback is a four-star he's the highest rated recruit in this class so far and I say so far because obviously it's still very young but the guys that Arizona has and you were right Brett when pointing out like defense which that to me is interesting because obviously Jed Fish is an offensive coach defense is a new defensive coordinator but there was a lot of emphasis on that side of the ball this offseason in terms of the, like a lot of change on the coaching staff not because they wanted to because they had to and Without having, like, Johnny Nansen hasn't proven anything as a defensive coordinator, and there's got guys committing to play for him. And obviously he was hired in big part because there's recruiting shops. Well, that seems to be working. Ricky Hundley's been a good recruiter, I know. People, Chuck Cecil's been a good recruiter. Like, there's been nothing but positive. Dwayne Walker, especially the defensive backs coach, seems to be a great oh, yeah. recruiter for them. But you get these guys who clearly they're focusing on defense, which if anyone who's watched Arizona for the last, I don't know, 10 years or so, 12 years, understands that defense needs attention and not saying these guys are going to be the superstars. I mean, some of the guys they got in this year's recruiting class look like they could be like Sterling Lane, obviously price sock. Like they got some really good players over there. Uh, Celestine, like there's some talent there, but you need that. You need defensive backs. Cause there's a lot of defensive backs on the field. You need linebackers. You need, especially think of what they're going to be losing after this season from guys who are going to transfer or not transfer, who are going to graduate and going to go pro a lot in the secondary. And that's not to say someone like, I don't know, like one of the guy, the guy from Hawaii, KK, is going to step in and be start next season, or like a Carter Stoutmeyer is going to come in and be a starting cornerback next season, assuming Christian Roland Wallace is gone. But you get options, you get guys who can play these positions, who come in, learn the system, and they're a possibility. So Arizona being able to get defensive commits, especially so many so early, like you're building a class, and then it also makes it to where I think later on there's only so many spots you can fill. So when you offer someone. They put some pressure on them, like, hey, I kind of want to go to Arizona. I need to commit to Arizona because otherwise they're going to fill my spot. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. it's, if they want to go to Arizona and players clearly want to go to Arizona, then you get the guys you want early, and then you kind of pick and choose some of the high-level guys. You can afford to go after the four stars and go after the five stars because you have the rest of your class built in. You're not going after those guys at the expense of other players who could help you, and these guys who they got commits from look like they can help. Yeah, the guys that committed this past weekend are the kind of the foundational guys that are the guys you uh, of your class, right? The ones you build it out. Like the reality is, the higher rated guys tend to commit later. I think you're right to call out that it's it's really positive to see Ricky Hunley having you know success on the recruiting trail because that was not you know a given when he was hired. But also Chuck Cecil, I think he was Arian Parrish's lead recruiter. Gonna you know assuming Cecil stays as the the safeties the you know safeties coach. Uh, Parrish is a guy that hits hard and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure it was not hard for Chuck Cecil to show him videos and highlights. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think, I think you're also right to point out that like these guys are committing because they know they want to get a spot on Arizona. They're buying what Arizona is selling because there's, you know, there's, there's only so many scholarships any, any team can offer though. Granted, there is a little bit of looseness uh, with what the NCAA did uh, kind of continuing the COVID trend of, uh, you know, softening the 25 man cap in any given class, you know, granted a lot of schools had ways of working around it in the past. Um, but 
you know, if, if you're an Arizona fan, you're concerned that, oh, we're taking too many guys early and not going to get as many four-star guys. First of all, calm down. <laughs> um, this whole show we've had a couple times where like, Arizona fans tend to overreact, it sounds like. I mean, I don't, to be fair, I don't think that's just Arizona. No, it's, it's not. that's just called being a fan. Yeah. Um, but I think there's, what, 11 known commitments. You know, I don't think Arizona is going to limit themselves to a 20, would, would not have limited themselves to a 25-man class uh, anyway. But with that, with the 25-man class limit gone away, they're only bound by the 85-man class. And there's a lot of guys that, you know, there's a lot of roster turnover that happened. And there may be some more. There was a couple guys, Jabbar Triplett uh, announced this week he was going to transfer, which is, it, it's kind of sad. But It's a bummer, but I respect that. He's had a rough yeah. time in Tucson. And, and he's just had tough luck with injuries. He was a guy I was pretty high on. Um, you know, I wish him the best. But, you know, I guess my, my point here is if you're an Arizona fan, don't be con- like they already have a pretty solid foundation in this class. And they got some guys that are maybe lowly rated like Tylen Gonzalez that might end up being the steals. Uh, but I, I think the the things fell into place for Jed Fish to turn over a roster very quickly that has needed to be turned over, and it just keeps continuing that way. And Arizona's capitalizing on those changes, uh, you know, in the roster composition, in the the, the scholarship limits, in NIL. Uh, everything's coming up Millhouse when it comes to Jed Fish. Um, so it's, it's it's you know, like I said, I, I don't know if it's we can quite say we're ready to call it another win of an offseason for Jed Fish in three in a row, but it's, it's trending that direction. Oh, ab- absolutely. And and it's, I, I look at this recruiting class, and of course, similar to last year's, it was like, can they keep them? And we'll go back to, of course, like Arizona has to be better this season. The sales pitch only works so far as you start winning. Like it's obviously people are forgiving of the one-win season. They don't. They probably can't do that again. No. But if you win three, four games, maybe even five, then you keep this recruiting class, and you can add to it, right? Like that's what was so impressive about the 2022 class. It was like, whoa. You know, like this, how'd they do this? <laughs> like they, just, they were one of the worst teams in college football and they got this one of the best classes in program history. Like, yeah, y'all remember they lost to NAU and they got the best pro- pro- recruiting class in program when history. When I talk to people, I look at the schedule. I'm like, you know, yeah, it's a tough schedule. There's no NAO. <laughs> like, like, you can't even say there's not even an NAU on the schedule because NAU beat them. So like, who's an easy team? I don't know. Like, I do yeah. think Arizona's won a few games. There's teams on their schedule. I think they can beat them, especially if Arizona has the bulk of its starters and roster healthy. I'll, you know, we'll, we'll have our season preview. We had that's a couple months down the road, but you see this and it's guys who are still buying. Of course, it's only the one four star guy. It's only the quarterback Dorman and Arizona is really good about. They recruit one quarterback. The first one commits. They don't recruit over them. That's what they got Fafita, who, by the way, by all accounts has been a steal for them you know as a guy who could probably even start for them at some point if they needed him but you build you start your class here you're Arizona you're not Alabama you're not Clemson you're not going to start your class with four and five star guys you start with high three star guys who have good offers from other schools and then you build out from there and take your home run swings and if you connect and you get a T-Mac great you know if you get a Sterling Lane that's terrific but if you swing and miss you're not you didn't strike out you know, you're still at bat. You still have a chance. And that's what a class like this, what they're building looks like. But yeah, I definitely like to focus on defense. That's obvious early that they're trying to load up on that side of the ball. And yes, please. <laughs> yeah, there's, I think the, the upcoming visits this weekend include Jeremiah McClure, who's like a top 200 national. I'm Jeremiah McClure. Course. You might remember me from such football camps as, <laughs> sorry, two re- really- references in one show. We're killing it now. <laughs> I, 
you can tell we're geriatric millennials with the <laughs> era of Simpsons references we were making as well. Um, you know, also there's some big uh, like top 300 guys like Arizona, Arizona, you know, four stars uh, in Jackson Bowers, Caleb Lomu, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, but having a, you know, a force, a consensus four star receiver visiting with your consensus four star commit quarterback, it's probably a smart strategy. Um, you know, I don't necessarily think that McClure will be on, you know, these high guys for what we're talking about aren't going to be on commitment watch necessarily, but this is where you start to make that, make that impact. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, this is about the time where the juice County visit happened and it was like, Hey, the, you know, maybe, you know, it's not, a, it's not, it's not zero. And then we know how that turned out. Um, but it's, it's, it's positive momentum. And to your point, this is how you start to build a class when you're, you know, a, you know, a God's honest football program, you get your quarterback early you build your foundation and then you go get the higher rated guys because they're going to d- decide later. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, gosh, darn it. We're doing that. <laughs> All right. So y'all can't see this. Brett's wearing one of his new home field t-shirts, the desert swarm one. I assume if you're listening to this show, you probably already placed your orders. This stuff looks so good. Um, I wore one of my shirts last Saturday and got some compliments on it. I mean, you've all seen it. Of course, if you haven't ordered your shirts, go to the home field, Type in Wildcat Radio as a promo code, all caps. Make sure you get 15% off your first order. And then just keep buying more stuff after that because who needs money when you can have all the sweet Arizona gear? That's what I say. My <laughs> my order that's on its way was is going to be more than one bag. <laughs> when the UPS guy just comes by and empties the entire truck at your front door, you're like, thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm just going to back it up into my driveway and be like, yeah, where do you want me to put all these? <laughs> they have like a forklift to bring it all in. Like they, they released the entire line last Saturday. We saw some teasers of it. They released the entire line, some stuff that we didn't even know was coming. And it looks really good. It's hard to choose one shirt. It's hard to choose three or four. So, you know, be prepared to spend some money. But when you do so, Wildcat Radio is your promo code to get a little discount on your first order. Brett, and I, hey Adam, yeah, Adam, can I, the, the, my order that uh, is coming also begs the existential question of how many U of A long sleeve hoodies is too many when I live in Phoenix, Arizona, and it's 115 degrees outside. Well, if you have like five, you can wear one for each day you would actually need it. All right, I'm, I'm, I may already be at that number. <laughs> <laughs> More hoodies than days there are where you would need a hoodie, living in Phoenix. Right, well, that's, that's... It's something you can do. There's no law against it. I, yeah, I suppose. I can turn the AC down real low so I can wear my uh, hoodie. <laughs> Brett's in, like, December. His AC is set to, like, 55. He's like, I'm comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have the air conditioning on in January, Brett? Well, I need to wear my hoodie indoors. <laughs> and it's not cold enough outside because it's, it's already 75 and sunny. This sucks. <laughs> <laughs> this lousy, <sighs> smart weather. <laughs> Third Simpsons reference? There we go. All the right, there we go. It's, that's Wildcat Radio 2.0 for all you guys. You can find us on Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. Make sure you subscribe to us on Spotify and on iTunes. If you're on iTunes, leave us a review. Rate us in a review. We will read that review on the air. I think we might be taking next week off, everyone. I know Brett and I are both out of town, and, you know, probably nothing will happen, or everything will happen, but, you know. It happens. Yeah, whatever <laughs> happens, when it happens, and when we're back, we'll talk about it. But until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.